0: I'm going to read two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And I guess if I had a title for this um, message, it would be uh, titled, um, A Clash of Kingdoms, or A Collision of Kingdoms. The first passage is out of Micah, the prophet, chapter 6, verse 8. And he has told you, human one, or he has told you, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with God. I'll read that again, Micah 6, 8. And he has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you and from I. To do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. And the second passage I want to read is that of John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and this is where uh, Jesus has been arrested. And he is uh, actually on trial before Pilate. And so he and Pilate have this conversation. This is starting with verse 33 in John chapter 18. And Pilate went back into the palace. And he summoned Jesus and he asked, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own? Or have others spoken to you about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and its chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, My kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. So you are a king, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. I was born and came into the world for this very reason, to testify to the truth. Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, Pilate asked. So I remember the first time I was registered to vote. Uh, we were registered in Mr. Bower's civic class uh, when I was a senior year. in my senior year at Marion High School. I turned 18, it was October of 1980, and I voted in the 1980 presidential election between Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. And I remember how proud I felt at that time to be able to participate in something that made me feel as if I was making a contribution to the process, finally, uh, to be able to offer my voice my choice in a very important process. And for years, I accepted the fact that there were basically only two choices, if you will, two allegiances, if you will, two parties. Now, sure, there were independents here and there, and there was maybe a third party candidate every now and then that would get on the ballot. For the most part, though, it came down to two choices, to cast one's vote and allegiance for two parties. Until I realized for myself, and this didn't come along until much later. I'm not saying this even happened in high school. I'm not saying this even happened in college. I'm not even saying this happened the first half of my life. But I realized, at least for myself, that there was a third choice. Now, not necessarily a third party, but more a third way. And this third way is, is not a recent phenomenon. It's not a party. It's not a movement, necessarily, but it's something that sprung up Uh, over 2,000 years ago. And this third way uh, has a platform. And I read part of that platform a few moments ago. I like to call it the Micah 6-8 platform and then the Sermon on the Mount platform. Again, I'm going to read Micah 6-8. He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I like that. Not to say it's easy, but I like it. It's a simple platform. I want to know what's good. I want to know what God requires of me. I think everyone wants to know that in some way. God, what is good? What do you require of us? Micah just simply drops some wisdom right there. Micah says, well, here's what God requires. Do justice, love mercy or embrace faithful love, and in everything, walk humbly with God. And the other part of this platform um, that I like to refer to it is the Sermon on the Mount. Or another way of putting it is the Jesus Manifesto for what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God. To live life within God's gracious rule and God's gracious reign. Or as I often say, to live life as God intended. As God intended life to be. This is what the kingdom of God is. What God intended life to be. And the direction that God is moving in within human history. Now, there's too much in Matthew 5, 7 to cover, which is the Sermon on the Mount. But it basically is very counterintuitive to how we think life should or how we think life needs to work. Because it invites us to love our enemies. It invites us to not judge. It invites us, and you and I, to take a good look at ourselves before we go judging others. In other words, to take that huge log out of our eye before we try to take that little speck, that little... little, uh, a piece of sawdust out of someone else's eye. We're invited to go the extra mile in service to others, uh, to be careful to not harbor contempt towards one another by calling people idiot or by thinking they're idiots, and to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us, just to highlight a few. In essence, Jesus, through his life, has given us a way, a way to live that has integrity, that has wisdom, that is true enough that it can be trusted To be trusted that living in this way is life-giving to us and to our world. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Because what he was saying was the way I live, the way that I show you, the way that I show the world, the way that I teach. You can trust that this way leads to life. You can count on this. This is a very truthful way to live. It will bring you life abundantly. And it will bring the world life. Which brings us to this conversation with Pontius Pilate in his palace, or what I call the clash of kingdoms, uh, or a crash of kingdoms. Jesus has been arrested, Jesus has been put on trial. It's not really a trial with due process, it's more like a trial with the outcome already decided, but everyone gets their day in court whether it's fair or not. And In this case, it really wasn't fair, but Jesus had his day. But the problem is, Basically, it's kind of interrupting Pilate's schedule. And quite honestly, he doesn't want to have to deal with this. Pilate doesn't want to get involved in the politics of the day, even though he's got that position. He particularly doesn't want to get involved in the religious squabbles of the day. It's kind of a no win situation for Pilate. So Pilate wishes the Jewish leaders would simply make a decision and judge Jesus according to their own law. The problem is this the Jewish leaders knew very well that their law didn't allow them to kill anyone. So they, in essence, wanted someone else to make the decision for them. He wanted someone else to do their dirty work. So Pilate goes back into the palace, and he has Jesus brought before him. And this conversation between Pilate and Jesus is a very interesting one. And I get the sense, as I read the story, that Pilate doesn't want anything to do with this. He doesn't want to even have to mess with this. Because in some ways, he doesn't really see what Jesus has done, and doesn't see Anything wrong with what Jesus has done or he's he's confused as to what the big issue is so Pilate is asking very direct questions and Jesus either responds with a question or he redirects the conversation with a statement and I'm going to shorten the conversation this way basically Pilate is asking Jesus why are we here who are you and exactly what are we doing here and I'm going to paraphrase Jesus By saying this, Jesus essentially tells Pilate, we're here because eventually everyone will end up here, if you will, this place of choice between two kingdoms and two allegiances. In a sense, Jesus says, I represent a whole nother kingdom. I represent a whole nother way of living. I represent a whole nother reality. You, Pilate, on the other hand, represent a whole nother kingdom, a whole nother reality a whole another way of living and that's why we're here now i want to slow down for a moment and just state something i am not making a case for what is called a theocracy that is a system of government in which priests and clergy rule in the name of god i believe in the value of our democratic system and i believe in the power of everyone being engaged everyone involved and everyone having a voice i believe in that that's why our part that's why i participated that's why I encourage people to participate in praying for wisdom and guidance. What I'm suggesting is that there is a way to order our lives, a very different way, a third way that is trustworthy, that is life-giving, that a way that invites our ultimate allegiance, And not because I'm suggesting it, but because Jesus invites it, and Jesus embodies it. As Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, My guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. Those are the words of Jesus. In effect, there's a saying, you're not from around here, which means your accent and ways are not native to this area. And Jesus is basically saying to Pilate, my kingdom is not from around here. Its ways are not native to this world. It's a completely different way of living, a completely different way of thinking, a completely different way of trusting a completely different way of acting and showing up. And in this case, Jesus says to Pilate, you might use violence to keep peace, Pilate, but I don't. I offer my life to give you peace as well as the whole world. That's the distinction in that moment that Jesus is making. Jesus is saying to Pilate, you have all your guards, you have your legions, you have your secret service, you could call them down and you could fight And you could use the power and violence to protect you. I could have done the same. I could have called all sorts of guards and people to protect me. But I didn't. Because my ways do not originate from this this world. My kingdom doesn't originate from this world. I offer a completely different way of seeing life and of living life. Well, then Pilate says, so you are a king. For some reason, Pilate can't let go of this. I think he wants to buttonhole Jesus. He wants to label Jesus. He says, you're a king. You have a kingdom. In many ways, you're just like me, but Jesus won't be compartmentalized. And I think in many ways, there's something to listen here. There's something to to pay attention here that Jesus will not be compartmentalized by our labels or controlled by even our ideologies. We try to get Jesus on our side, but Jesus is not going to be co-opted to anyone's side. Jesus has one allegiance only, and that allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And that allegiance is to the way of God. That allegiance is essentially Micah 6 8, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Jesus simply says, I came into this world for this reason, to testify to the truth. And when you hear me speak and hear my voice, know that you are hearing truth. Now, this is not a propositional truth as a belief statement or a creed. This truth is in the sense that it's how Jesus lives and what Jesus says and what Jesus teaches and how God intends life to be, and how God intends the world to be, and how God intends to recreate the world for the flourishing of all for you, for me, for our neighbors, for those who live miles away from us, across the sea, across borders. And truth matters. Truth matters because ultimately, what we believe to be true, what we think ultimately works, is what's going to capture our attention and our allegiance and our energies. So then Pilate then asks the ultimate question: What is truth? That's a very timely question. A very timely question in an age in which we can't really seem to believe anything anyone says. Everything feels confusing. All the realities seem confusing. All the allegiances seem confusing. What is truth? What can I count on to be true? What can I? count on to stand the test of time and to hold up over time? What can I count on to offer me a solid place to stand? Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus makes this claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, we don't get and I don't get to wrap Jesus around our allegiances and ideologies and call it the way. Instead, Jesus invites us to filter all of our actions All of our decisions, all of our choices, all of our allegiances through his way, his life, and his truth. And here's the thing. After election day, after November 3rd, Jesus' invitation still stands. It doesn't change. It's not affected by who is in office or who is in power because ultimately all of that is still secondary to the claim that Jesus makes upon our life. Today, as I stated, or this weekend at Deep River Friends is our annual Founders Day date. First Sunday, November, we celebrate Founders Day. We are 266 years old, starting year 267. We are literally older than this country, and we have survived every election since the beginning of this country. I'm sure not every election was easy, and quite frankly, we have gone through some elections that have stretched the fabric. Of our faith community even so that it is at times torn in places but we have mended and we have moved on as best as possible but we have survived every election that this country has ever had and we will continue to survive and we will continue to move forward and we will continue to follow in the way in the leading of Jesus and since this is our founders day I think it makes perfect sense to revisit our own identity statement as Deep River Friends meeting so this is what we approved in our monthly meeting business Uh, about a year or two ago. Deep River Friends Meeting is a Christ-centered faith community gathered around the leadership of the living Christ. We seek to live in the way of Jesus through our faithfulness to his leadings and our Quaker testimonies of simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and service. We have no greater allegiance than to the kingdom of God, and we have no greater privilege than serving our community and making God's love real. We have no greater allegiance than the kingdom of God and no greater privilege than serving our community and making God's love real. You know, since registering to vote for the first time in Mr. Bower's civic class at Marion High School, I have considered it a stewardship of public trust to participate in the process and cast my vote. And when I vote, I select as best as I can with what or who aligns as closely as possible with my own values, according to how I understand living in the way of Jesus. It's not a very easy decision. It's hardly ever an easy decision. But because I believe in the process, I participate in it, getting as close as I can to the way that Jesus calls me and the way I understand it. And that's what I invite people to do, is to listen as closely as possible to the way that Jesus calls us to live as we call ourselves disciples, as we call ourselves people of faith, as we call ourselves Christians, this is the invitation Jesus makes to us. And on Wednesday, on Wednesday after Election Day, the message of Jesus will still remain the same. My kingdom doesn't originate from the patterns and habits and values and ways of this world. My kingdom isn't from around here. In fact, I offer a different way, a third way, if you will, And this way offers a way to live that you can count on because it's trustworthy and true. And it is the way that ultimately is life-giving for everyone who chooses to walk in the same way. There is an author by the name of Lee Camp um, who wrote uh, some some very powerful words about the claim the gospel makes on our life. And here's what he asked to offer. The gospel claim that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated it defines or redefines reality. It redefines what is most real. And what is most real is not the scheming of tyrants or the lies of those in power. What is most real is not that might makes right or that greatness is defined by the size of one's arsenal. What is most real, we Christians claim, is the power of God, revealed in one who suffers in love and trusts that right has been made right, not through might, but through mercy, through repentance, and resurrection. This new reality, he writes, fundamentally reorders the ways of life and death, politics and power. There's a fellow by the name of John Huckins who founded and runs an organization out west in uh, San Diego, California, along with some others, called Global Immersion. And, and together in community and, and partnering with churches, uh, they, they seek to develop and make real living in the way of Jesus, in ways that are often radical, in ways that are often challenging. And uh, he came out with this simple guide a few weeks ago called Voting as Discipleship. In other words, um, um, how, do we, how do we practice our, our, our privilege to vote as disciples of Christ? Now I know probably many of you have voted already. I've already voted. So it, this really is just simply a reminder as to how to live out our vote, how to live out our allegiances every day. And this is what he writes, voting as a disciple. Number one, recite the Lord's Prayer. Number two, read the Sermon on the Mount. Number three, consider the plight of our neighbors, local and global, that are on the receiving end of our often very broken systems. Number four, interrogate the ballot through the lens of of the flourishing of others besides ourselves. And number five, vote and live accordingly. And then he adds, and vote with our lives by living the fruit of the Spirit, November 4th, 5th, 6th, and every day beyond. By living uh, the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, gentleness, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control, by letting that manifest in our lives every day. But then he and his kids, uh, they, they, they wrote or paraphrased their own Pledge of Allegiance. Um, and he and his kids, uh, and they, they basically wrote it themselves. Uh, they they uh, recite this every day before they head out uh, for whatever they're going to do. And it simply goes like, list, like, like this. We pledge allegiance to the God of the whole world and galaxies and to the love for which it stands, one kingdom for all life, with liberty and justice for all. Friends, I know that this has been a hard year. I know that this has been a hard season. I know this has been a tough election. And I know from previous elections and from the past election, uh, there have been fractured relationships. Uh, There have been hard feelings. Uh, There have been divisions. Um, And those are very hard and tender places. Um, And those are very hard places. And so I guess what I'm simply inviting us to do, inviting myself to do, is to keep my eyes focused, is to keep my heart focused, is to keep my soul focused on this third way, the way of Jesus. And to realize that the way of Jesus is always going to clash with the kingdoms of this world, the empires of this world. And Jesus doesn't go around either sanctioning them or belittling them. He just says, I offer another way. I have a kingdom that does not originate from this world in fact you really have to rethink your life um, to be part of it you may have to make some changes in your life and I don't know what that looks like for you I know what it looks like for me and it's never easy sometimes I don't want to change sometimes I don't I don't want to conform my life to the ways of Jesus sometimes I just want to do it my way and then I want to tell other people how to do it and I want to tell them they're wrong but this is a very humbling moment, and I think this is a very significant moment, and it's a very challenging moment, particularly for people of faith, as to how we will move forward and as to how we will live forward and as to how we will be faithful to the way of Jesus through this and each day afterwards. There's another way that I invite myself to conform to um, in a life-giving way, and that is uh, the Quaker way. That's the living tradition that I'm part of. That's what we're part of as of our Friends Meeting. Uh, that's who we are. We are a Quaker faith community, and we try to live as best as we can um, in the Quaker way, a, a way that's living, not bound by just uh, old structures, not bound by just uh, living in old traditionalism, but bound by a very living way. And there was a Quaker uh, back in the mid-1600s in 1659. His name uh, was Edward Burroughs, and he was uh, converted, if you will, to Quakers and became a convinced friend, convinced Quaker, after listening to the teachings of early friends and, and George Fox. And during this time of year, there's a quote of Edward, Edward Burroughs that always pops up, and you'll probably see it again if you're active on social media, I'm sure you will as a matter of fact. But I want to share that quote because what he has to offer and what he has to say I think is so good in terms of how we bring our own Quaker way together with the way of Jesus and how it invites us to live um, from this day forward. And here's what Edward Burroughs wrote years ago. We are not for names, nor men, nor titles of government, nor are we for this party, nor against the other, but we are for justice and mercy and truth and peace and true freedom, that these may be exalted in our nation, and that goodness, righteousness, meekness, temperance, Peace and unity with God and with one another, that these things may abound. And amen.